Coalition, or B-A-L-A-S-C. At this forum, you will learn about the upcoming 2014 Salvadoran elections, advances in education, economics, and the Bolivarian Alternative for the Americas, or ELBA. This event will feature a panel discussion, folkloric dance performances, and refreshments. This benefit for MITF is taking place at the Answer Office, 2969 Mission Street in San Francisco. Tickets are 3 to $5. For more information, call 415-517-9533. This event is wheelchair accessible. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover. Hi there, I'm Raina Cowan. Welcome to Cover Cover, open book, or as I like to call it, frame to frame. The next half hour where we focus on um, issues connected to film. And today we're going to have a really interesting conversation. We're going to talk first about CamFest, which is running through Sunday. It used to be called the San Francisco International Asian American Film Festival. Now it's CamFest, and it says film, music, food, which is an interesting transition, which we'll find out about. And then we'll, for the people up in the North Bay, we'll also talk about the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival that is also running through Sunday. So for the first part of our show, I want to talk about CamFest. And CamFest started on the 14th. It's uh, 10 days of films from around the world focusing on issues having to do with uh, uh, either Asian issues by Asian filmmakers or a wide variety of things. And with me to talk about this is Christine Kwan, who is the managing director of CamFest, Welcome to KPFA. Hello. And Violet Fang, who is, works for CNEX, which is a distribution company and producer of uh, Chinese films. It's a nonprofit, and they have offices in Beijing, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. It's a film foundation and a production company. So welcome to KPFA. Hello. So why don't we first start uh, with just this idea of CamFest in in the first place, that now it says film, music, food. So what's the transition from the San Francisco uh, International Asian American Film Festival to film, music, food? What's the combination? Right. So you notice that in CamFest, it's... One, it's a lot easier and shorter to say, so that's nice. <laughs> um, but secondly, we don't necessarily have the word film in, in the word festival. So the idea is film, music, and food. It really is more representative of what Asian Americans and Asians are doing creatively. And I think it's a, a natural progression and evolution of our festival to be more representative of what our communities are doing in terms of innovation and art. Oh, that's that's great. So there's a lot of films that are coming up this weekend that that stood out for me, and one of them I wanted to talk about first is Go Grand Writers because Violet, this is a film that Cenex was one of the producers of, and you're a producer for, in in the big scheme of things, and uh, it's a film that's quite interesting in that it tells the story. It's a documentary about a group of senior citizens, and they. They're all like in their 80s. You have to be in your 80s to do this. They're on their scooters and they're riding around um, the island of Taiwan. And uh, 
So in some ways, the film is about this experience of seeing the island, and then there's the experience of people who are old, who maybe have given up hope in some kind of way, who are confronting things having to do with their health, their bodies, um, so many different kinds of losses, doing something else. And then there's all the, the support team, you know, who, who in this case are the people who take their... Uh, their pulses every day, take their blood pressure, make sure that they get their medication. So I can imagine that this was a, an idea for a film that uh, would be really hard to execute and and make interesting. And uh, so I'm wondering how uh, the director thought about it. And as you, as one of the producers of the project, you know, how did you think about how to take this film from its beginning idea to fruition? Actually, the film started uh, from an idea actually initiated by the uh, foundation that uh, for for senior people in Taiwan, uh, they already have this idea to travel around these old people on scooters. Um, but then uh, they came to the director and said that would you wanted to do a short piece of video just to document the trip. And he's like, okay. And they traveled for 13 days. He shot a lot of amazing stuff. And by the end of the trip, he really get to know these old people and then start to poke around and then get deeper into their lives. At that point, he realized that this is a film bigger than just a short video. So he went to the foundation and told them that, you know, I wanted to make a bigger film. I want to make a longer film. So it started evolving and then he went back to shoot these old people's lives their families and all that eventually seen that come on also and then we turn into a theatrical film and so was there a sense at the beginning who the audience would be for this film we always thought that the audience would mostly be um Chinese, Taiwanese, uh, Hong Kongese, we really didn't have much idea of how it's going to connect uh, internationally. We're a bit nervous about that. So actually coming to CAM is nerve-wracking for the director and also the producers uh, to really see how North America reacted to this film. But we had the first screening on um, last Friday, and it was sold out a long time ago and the audience reacted really warmly and we had a really good screening so that was like a really warm and ha- ha- heartfelt feeling for all of us now it's it's interesting because there's certain things that seem to be uh, so important to a lot of the people like religion for example right seems to be playing a, a key role and then there's uh there's this one character who is like the team leader and his job mm-hmm. is to really give support to everyone to keep going. Although, uh, like so many team leaders, they're not taking care of themselves and he <laughs> keeps on winding up in the hospital. Yes. Uh, and so I, uh, and I, so I wondered about, you know, this whole idea of who, uh, you know, when somebody is supposed to be in the lead and then they wind up getting sick, the film has to kind of figure out how to reorganize itself. And I can imagine dealing with old people and disability that that could happen often. So what were the challenges for the director in this film? Well, the challenges, I think that to following the 13 days is really to get to know these old people really well and to be intimate with them. As you said that the team leader got sick uh, along the trip and there are other stories and people got sick and people, actually one of the Go Grand Riders, um, on the very first day, he dozed off when scooting, the, when scooting because that's his napping time and uh, usually he sleeps during that hour. So he dozed off and uh, had a foul and so 
they have stories like that. But um, I think that the, the challenge the director was facing is more to um, find a story and then to really get to close uh, to get close to these characters. Um, I think that was struck me most is one of the grand, go grand writers actually he um is was in the 80s and uh, uh he his wife passed away a while ago but actually before the 30 years ago when they were like traveling around taiwan they actually made a pro he actually made a promise to his wife saying that you know when we when we are old i'm gonna take you one last time around the country um but little did he know that several years later his wife passed away so he actually went to her graveyard and uh to ask her if he should take this trip with her with her picture so he flipped a coin and she answered with a yes from heaven <laughs> so um and Actually, the team leader and this co-grandmother, the two of them, uh, both passed away um, right now because the film, the trip actually was made like five years ago. So till this day, already three of the co-grandmothers uh, passed away. So we thought that it was an important film to be told at the right time. <laughs> That's so interesting that you say, and heaven said. Like, <laughs> uh, it's so funny because Violet went to the journalism school at UC Berkeley, and you're saying that, that it happened rather than this was his whatever, yes. you know, that he flipped a coin, and to him that meant. <laughs> yes. Um, so I want to talk to you, Christine, about some of the other films that are showing. One of the films that I really enjoyed watching is Christmas Without China, which is a documentary from Arcadia, California, and it's going to be on ITVS, I believe. And it tells uh, the story of this man who was young man who was born in China, who lives in Arcadia, who has gotten so much. He hears so much flack everywhere about uh, products made in China being no good. So he actually tries to get a family to spend one month without any products from China. And then the story is juxtaposed with stories of his family who really want to be American in all these ways, but also value Chinese products. So uh, how do people approach you in terms of which films you're going to talk about? I'm, I can imagine that you've gotten, um, you get hundreds of requests of people submitting films. How do you decide which, what are the issues you want to cover and how you want to make sure that they're talk, you know, covered in the film festival? Yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge, and uh, we review hundreds and hundreds of films from all over the world. And our goal is to, uh, I think, one, highlight Asian American works and innovation, and then secondly, represent works from the Asian diaspora as a whole, because uh, the reality is that we're all sort of interconnected. You know, there's no Asian American, and then they're, you know, separated from, you know, Asians. We're, we're connected through generations and through migration and history. Um, and so I think for one one theme that we're highlighting this year is um, called Economies of Power. And uh, Xmas Without China is one of those films that um, is part of that program. What we really wanted to highlight was this, all of these issues that are surfacing about, you know, China as an economic power, as a so social power, and how that relates to Americans and Asian Americans. And I spoke with Tom earlier um, during the festival, and a couple of things strike me. Is one is what he was able to do in the documentary is really put a personal story and a personal face to this issue about um, Chinese-made goods and uh, the perceived threat of it, and then also you know uh, the Americans' usage of Chinese-made goods. Um, secondly, 
I, I think that he really struggled through the, the film um, with this idea of uh, belonging. So he himself uh, was struggling with the idea of, or with this experience of displacement. And, you know, is he American or is he Chinese? And then he's kind of in between those two worlds. So Exodus Without China is such an interesting documentary because I think it does what a lot of great films do and then it explores that gray area and also personalizes what can often be um, a sensationalized issue. Now, the, of all the films that I saw, of course, I didn't get to watch thousands, but one of them, which is also all these films that I'm talking about today are films that you can still see as part of the festival and we'll give you the times of, for them in a bit, but uh, it's this film from Indonesia called Postcards from the Zoo mm-hmm. and uh you know, it's the kind of film that I really like. It's very slow moving. Uh, one of the main characters is a giraffe who uh, just sort of changes uh, who this giraffe is um, named Jira. It changes roles through the course of the film just based on how everyone is kind of projecting on, on Jira. But it's really the story of um, this little girl who was abandoned in the zoo when she was three by her father and then raised as sort of having the zoo having be her family until um, it's kind of a fairy tale until uh, a magician comes along and she sort of takes on another role. But it's it's so beautiful and there is a way where time moves at a different pace and uh, the imagery is wonderful and the zoo feels both magical and the animals seem really alive like there's these moments where an animal for example a tiger uh, isn't eating and she says oh I know you need a bath and then we see a tiger getting a bath (laughs) I mean uh, it's uh, it's a film by Edwin and I just wondered what compelled you? I mean, I know that there's a lot of films coming out from Indonesia now, and certainly from uh, there's so many choices of films that are really dealing that are more feature length films. How did you select this film, and what did you see in it? I think it's a film that is for film lovers who love formally interesting films. So it is magical. It is uh, at its own pace. And it has, you know, this underlying theme about uh, sort of nature versus um, urban kind of realities in Indonesia. But it's told in a fairy like fairy tale like manner. So there is this um, actual magical <laughs> realism part of it and in the form of this cowboy magician that's played by Nicholas Saputra. And uh, Edwin is an incredibly interesting and talented director. So for those who like sort of um, art house or, f- or formally interesting films, I think this is a one to definitely see. Uh, there is, and the animals are in it, so it has this very kind of documentary quality. I mean, there's this blending. So many of documentaries today have recreations, and here was sort of the opposite. It felt like you couldn't really control what the animals were going to do. They were going to probably do something, and then Edwin had to work around it, but but there was a way of, of blending fact and fiction that I thought made it really interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you can't uh, really direct animals the way that you direct actors. So whenever you see, when you watch that movie and you see the wild animals, it, you know, you know that the director and the actors have um, composed themselves to work around that. So it, it does seem like a very organic uh, piece. 
So I don't know, Violet, if you've seen that film, but I'm wondering if um, the films that you are actually helping uh, produce that are really spoken fe- featuring um, the work of China, uh, how much of a range of styles can you use in the, the films that are being created? In China, you mean? Yes. Um, so I think that, well, Cinex, actually, let me talk a little bit about Cinex first. Um, Cinex is actually a foundation and a production company. We actually found and produce 10 films a year, and every year we have a theme. Um, and we are trying to do 100 films for 10 years, trying to document the changes of China. So we actually do open calls to Chinese film directors, um, also from Taiwan and Hong Kong, to uh, come to us with their interesting projects. Um, I would say that... Uh, the range of the project we see, a lot of them, they're uh, important social issues. Um, I would say actually most of them are very important social issues. We sometimes see like pieces like the Gold Grain Riders, which respond very well with the audience. But because uh, China is changing so rapidly, the society is changing so much, and uh, also Taiwan and Hong Kong. So we see a lot of these heavy issues uh, was being brought up by these independent filmmakers. I see. So let, let me just tell people that Christmas or Xmas without China is uh, March 24th at 7.30 at the New People Theater. Go Grand Riders is March 23rd at uh, the Great Star Theater at 2 p.m. And Postcards from the Zoo is playing this evening at Pacific Film Archive at 8.45 in Berkeley. The others um, are in San Francisco. Uh, Christine, what are some other films that really stand out in terms of uh, our audience, which would be uh, either political themes or themes that have to do with art, the linking of art and culture that uh, would be really interesting for our audience to see. Absolutely. One of my favorite is uh, playing on Sunday at the Great Star Theater. And I will say, um, if people have not seen the Great Star Theater, they should try to go because it's uh, the last cinema in San Francisco Chinatown. And it's really just beautiful. So a cinematic experience for sure. And of course, you know, going there to watch a movie, you can also take that opportunity to explore Chinatown, eat some amazing food. So it's uh, definitely worth it to make out the trip there. So um, one of the films I love is Comrade Kim Goes Flying. It's playing at the Great Star on Sunday. And this is um, one of the very few North Korean narrative feature productions that's been made in the past decade or so. And it's uh, interesting because, you know, folks are expecting sort of a propaganda film. And of course, it needs to have those elements because it's a North Korean production and there's censorship. But the director was able to um, work with the North Korean cast and crew to create this really fun narrative about this young woman who's uh, comes from a farming town but dreams of being an acrobat. And it's really about her upward mobility about doing that and pursuing her dreams and it's also just really surprisingly fun so I uh, you know kind of like a film where you, where you think like oh this is odd but because it's odd I would definitely recommend seeing it um, some of the other events happening this week are not just films. Uh, we have some cooking salons that are happening. So these are interactive salons that are going to be happening in uh, San Francisco New People. Uh, cinema and what what happens during the salons is different chefs come together and they create something uh, live in front of an audience really an opportunity for folks to um, experience what is so central to Asian culture and that's food (laughs) 
Um, we also have some really great panels. So one of the panels that I love for people to attend is sort of an offshoot of our screening of Mira Nair's latest film, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. It's a beautiful movie based off a um, Booker Prize winning novel. And, um, this panel is going to be feature, uh, featuring some really um, significant thought leaders when we're talking about uh, the American Muslim uh, community and experience, uh, especially after 9-11. And it's happening tomorrow at 4 o'clock in Japantown. And we have a spoken word artist, Mark Gonzalez. We have Zara Bilu. We have humorist and writer, Wajahat Ali. And a filmmaker, David Washburn, who's going to be screening his latest short, An American Mosque. Really interesting conversation that affects not not just the Muslims, but sort of all communities of color, and definitely think it's worth uh, checking out. So uh, I guess one last question, Christine. I'm wondering about uh, this whole idea of what makes a film really fit into the CAMFest. I mean, in terms of, you know, that there's always, in all these different film festivals, which are really sort of geared to a particular niche, uh, there's always these questions of the films that maybe belong but maybe don't quite belong and how do you actually think about it? And so here you're talking about something that's expansive, that's thinking about all people of color. So uh, how do you think about that when you're choosing something? Sure. Well, I'll start by saying that um, CAM, the organization, produces works that are by and about Asians and Asian Americans. But our goal really is to exhibit all of these works to everybody, all communities, um, not just Asian communities. Um, one thing that I'll say is that we are continuing to, to diversify the platforms and kind of media that we exhibit. But at core we're always about the community so it's all about authenticity like does this documentary or feature film does it feel authentic is it representing a community is it you know speaking to a particular demographic is it telling a story that is not typically told that should be told uh, is it formally challenging is it artistically exciting so all of those considerations make the festival both very you know challenging to program but also extremely rewarding because there's very few communities that are as expansive and diverse as the Asian American one, and that's both our our strength and um, you know uh, uniqueness. Great. That's Christine Kwan, who's the managing director of Camfest, and Violet Fang, who is a producer with Cenex. Um, if you want to go to the website to find out more about the film festival, you can go to camfest.com. That's C A A M fest.com. I want to switch over now and uh, join on the phone Jason Perdue, who's the program director of the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival. It has screenings both in Sebastopol and Santa Rosa uh, and started last night. Jason, welcome to KPFA. Hi, thank you so much. Well, you know, I, I really wanted to have you on because so many times people call from Sonoma or Napa and they're saying, you know, these films are not screening anywhere near us, and you're talking about them, and we can talk about them at dinner parties, but <laughs> we don't necessarily get to see them. And then here it is. You've organized this festival that's actually really growing and uh, and is uh, has some really interesting and fun documentaries. So, um, And you're the program director. I know that you used to work at San Francisco International. So, um, no, I never, I never worked there. Oh, I never you didn't? I, I, no, no. I, I, I mean, I'm a 
film film society member for oh, 20 plus years. Oh, I see. Okay. So uh, I just wanted to talk briefly about the festival. Uh, there were three films that stood out for me that I've seen that I found really strong that you're showing. Uh, Tokyo Waza, which is by Christine Samuelson and John Haptis, uh, you know, that talks about the crows in, in Tokyo, which is really yeah. wild. Um, strong, which is about Olympic weightlifter Julie Wyman, and then The Lost Landscapes of San Francisco by Rick Prellinger, who, you know, takes all these old footage and put them together in unique ways to sort of see what San Francisco used to look like. So that's right. quite a range, and this is only three of multiple films. So how did you kind of come up with ideas for what you were wanted to cover and how? Well, I mean, we, we the film festival for an entire year. I mean, the day that last year's ended, we started planning. Um, uh, specifically, the Lost Landscapes is, is part of a special program we're doing this year called the Spotlight on the Archive, and it's, it's uh, several programs focused on the use of archival footage and documentary film and the different uses. And, of course, if you're going to talk about archival footage, especially in the Bay Area, you you got to talk about with Prelinger. So we asked him uh, if he would be interested in, in presenting something, and he had just released his uh, Lost Landscape 7 uh, at the Castro, and he's, he's touring it around the Bay Area and other places. So he said, yeah, I'd love to bring it up. And it's really, if you've never seen a Lost Landscapes, it's every screening is a is an absolutely unique and once in a lifetime screening because much of the footage is is so old. There's no audio, there's no soundtrack, um, and what he encourages is, is, is a lot of audience participation. Um, people to call out places they see and things they're doing, and um, and so um, we're really. I'm excited to have that here in our new auditorium, uh, 200, probably going to be 250 people in the room. Uh, really, it's going to be a unique experience. Jason, you're, and, um, somehow you're breaking up, so could you talk a little bit softer or a little farther from the um, the mic? Somehow it's it's uh, it's hard to actually hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, so um, did, did you get all that about yes. the last landscape? Yes, oh, okay. I did, yeah. And um, go ahead. So in terms of uh, trying to make a festival that's first started locally and that is really building to become uh, greater and more recognized everywhere, uh, how did you think about doing that? Well, for us, I mean, really what it came down to was um, immersing ourselves in documentary culture, immersing immersing ourselves in the documentary communities nationwide, really. I go to Silver Docs every year. I participate in in uh, local events it, it, during Silver Docs that have um, introduced me to all kinds of filmmakers from around the world. And I think that um, taking documentary seriously, giving a global perspective on it, not just showing films about that pander to my audience, but really bringing stories and, and ideas that um, that will really uh, change paradigms and make people think, um, and really focusing on where documentary is going. Uh, and you know, and where do you think and, that is? Where do you think documentary is going? You know, I mean, I I think it's um, some people are calling this the golden age of documentary because there's a lot of artistic things that are happening in documentary, moving away from the talking head, um, incorporating a lot of uh, more um, uh, um, essay-style films, uh, a lot of beautiful camera work and, and intense real filmmaking, you know, that goes into the kind of filmmaking you would expect in narrative films. Um, that, I think, is 
for some people, blurring the line between documentary and, and narrative filmmaking and in some ways enhancing documentary filmmaking. I think that um, uh, I, I like that area a lot. I think that um, uh, it speaks to um, the use of technology. It speaks to um, how we uh, evolve telling stories and getting points across. I think that um, a PowerPoint documentary or a, or a talking head documentary can um, tend to make people's eyes glaze over if you're not, if you don't have some ability to engage them. And I think that's where the new documentary filmmakers are really changing, um, changing the entire medium, really. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. The Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival runs through Sunday, and uh, it's both in Sebastopol and screenings in Santa Rosa. If you want more information, you can go to sebdocfest at gmail.com. That's sebdocfest at gmail.com. If you're interested in CAMFest, uh, you can go to also to their website, which is camfest.com my name is Raina Cowan this has been Frame to Frame I will be back next week talking about other films and I hope you'll join me then so thank you so much for listening KPFA is 64 years old. We want you to help us celebrate on Sunday, April 14th from 5 to 9 p.m. at Cafe Venezia in Berkeley. There will be an array of appetizers, a delicious Italian dinner, and then birthday cake, of course. The festivities will be hosted by Ed Holmes of the San Francisco Mime Troupe and features Bay Area jazz guitarist Terrence Brewer, followed by a special guest, Wavy Gravy. This event is a benefit for KPFA and Camp Winter Rainbow. Tickets are $150 a piece or $275 per couple. Join us at Cafe Venezia on Sunday, April 14th at 5 p.m. Reserve your place at the table. Call 510-848-6767, extension 255, or email benefit at kpfa.org. See you there.